If you got a copy of God's Word, you can find the book of Acts in the second chapter. That's where we're going, Acts chapter 2. For just a very short series, we're titling, and you're looking at, The Church of God at Sailorville. It's our desire uh, for just a couple of weeks as we sort of kick off the season, if you please, to sort of remind ourselves of who and whose we are. Uh, we just think it'd be a good way to start this time, and that's what we're doing. So a little synopsis of the church itself. And so in Acts chapter 2, uh, the context is 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and just 10 days after he has ascended into heaven before his disciples, uh, the promised Holy Spirit has come. He has descended upon those 120 and has filled them, and they have gone from cowering, shivering little scaredy cats to just fearless preachers of the gospel. And with that, we have what I think is the greatest sermon in all of the Bible. You can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 2. We're actually looking at the very end of that sermon uh, those are the words you're looking at here right now. But in this sermon, uh, Peter uh, did several things. He, he, he brought in prophecy, he brought in providence, and he brought in promise. The prophecy that what Jesus Christ did was prophesied from uh, before the foundation of the world. And all they did to Jesus when they crucified him was according to God's providence or his plan. And then, of course, the promise of the Holy Spirit, his coming, his infilling, and what he was doing was all, again, according to Joel, who he quotes a little bit earlier in the passage. Peter, what he does is masterfully cobble together those prophecies to show that Jesus Christ indeed is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And it was his death and his resurrection that brings salvation. And the result is, in verse 37, they are, quote, cut to the heart. And they, they literally say, what are we supposed to do about this? To which Peter says, you need to repent, which they do. They repent, they turn to God, they turn to God through Jesus. And that's where we pick it up in verse 41, where we read, so those who received, if you have the older translation, it says gladly received. It's a compound word. It's the word apodexomenai. It literally means to welcome. Some of your Bibles say that. Uh, it, mean, it carries the idea of an attitude behind it. If this is what God has done for me, I want to gladly do what? They were received the word and they were baptized. Uh, the baptism was their way of responding by identifying with the Messiah. They were, so those who gladly received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they, that is those 3,000, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So right away we see in this prototype of the church that teaching, the teaching of the word of God, apostolic doctrine was, was at a high, and it never left this high watermark. Paul would later say, Timothy, you've known my doctrine. Give attention to doctrine. All scriptures given by inspiration is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching, so that's the word here. The apostles' teaching and fellowship. That means to partner, to come together, to join together. Uh, the breaking of bread. That's what we're about to do uh, with uh, the Lord's table. And the prayers. So prayer was an important part of that early church. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done, were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They had all things in common. 
and they were selling their possessions uh, and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple, because that's where they were in Jerusalem. This is Pentecost. They've, they've descended upon the temple. They'll be there for a while, but not for long, because they'll have to go back to their homes, which is mentioned here. They received their food. It says, uh, attending to the temple together with and breaking of bread. In their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God, that's the praise band here. The Lord added, and, and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And thus the church began. I, first, I learned my very first theology lesson on the church uh, through my mother. Uh, some of you might remember this little church rhyme. It went like this. Remember it? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door, and there's the people, right? That's bad theology. <laughs> My mother taught me bad theology. Bless her heart. Because when I became a Christian, I learned, and I even changed it. I changed it to this here's the building, here's the perch. Open the door. There's the church. The church is the people of God. And that's what we're doing here for these couple of weeks is sort of reminding ourselves of, of, of who we are and whose we are. We are the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. We are called out from the world to gather together, to worship our triune God, to hear from his word, to practice his ordinances, baptism, which we'll celebrate next week, communion, the Lord's table, which we'll celebrate this morning, which both identify us with the Messiah, with the Lord Jesus remembering his life and death, and then to penetrate this world with the gospel. Let's let Peter, Peter tell it to us best. He says this, Peter goes, you are a chosen race, a royal, a royal priesthood, God's own possession, to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once... You were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you did not receive mercy, now you receive mercy. And all God's people should say, that's what we're supposed to be doing. But what is the church? Whose is the church? What is the purpose of the church? Why are we even gathering here anyway? My wife and I were in Hawaii uh, for a special anniversary. Our kids sent us there. Another good reason to have lots of kids, by the way. <laughs> and so we're there, and uh, we, we, they, also, they also made reservations for us to go to a magic comedy show, which was like, it, just, it was just knock-dead fantastic. But it was very, very close-knit. There was only like 40 of us in this little, tiny little theater. And before that, they, we, they served us appetizers. We were with a group, and the former group was getting out of the theater. And we're, I was watching this. There was a distance of about maybe 
30, 40 feet. I could not hear what was going on. But again, the former group was leaving. And here are the two entertainers and about 40 or 50 people going by them. And they were going by them, shaking their hands, you know, slapping them on the back. One lady goes up and hugs one of them. And I'm looking at this from a distance and I say to my wife, they're the preachers and there's all the worshipers going right by right now. I said, this, 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 the scene looks almost identical to us standing at the door at Sailorville Church. I know the message was a little different. But it caused me to say, why do we even do that? Just asking questions. As we start off this season, we thought it would be a good idea to remind ourselves who we are, whose we are, why we're doing this thing called church. So let's get right at it. Here's the first thing we want. This is God's church. Why say amen? You don't even know that. You just, it just sounds good, didn't it? I think it's a good amen. It's a biblically based amen. It is God's church. When the apostle Paul dressed, addressed the Corinthians, and by the way, the Corinthians weren't exactly the greatest church. I don't know if I want to identify with the Corinthian church. But when he addressed them, he says this right out of the chute, to the church of God that's in Corinth. It doesn't matter how, if the church is a true Bible-based God-started church, it's his church. My brother was uh, pastoring a little tiny Baptist church years, uh, several years ago up in northern Iowa, and it was an unaffiliated church, so, but he was with a group of pastors who were affiliated with one another. And they were kind of talking back and forth, and one of the pastors said, Lakota, Lakota, hmm, I didn't know we had a church there. My brother goes, you don't, but God does, which was the right answer. Let me just say this to you right out of the chute. This is not Pat Nemers' church. You can say amen. It's not an association's church. It's not even your church for crying out loud. It's God's church. The church of God at Sailorville, hence the title. The Apostle Paul, when he gathered together the elders from the church at Ephesus, where he had been hanging out for three years, he gathers them together. He's getting ready to leave. It's a time of tears. You can read about this for yourself in Acts chapter 20. But here's, what he, here's how he concludes. He says, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock which, by the way, is a good idea if you're a pastor to pay attention to yourself first before you start paying attention to other people. Actually, it's a good idea for all of us, right? Start with yourself, then the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We get our word bishop from this word. Overseer, whether it's a bishop or an elder or a pastor, they're all the same guy, just wearing three different hats, okay? So he's made you, that is, the Holy Spirit made us overseers. And watch this, to care for what? The church of God. That was at Ephesus. So let's just get it started where it needs to get started. This is God's church. Let's say it together. This is God's church. Secondly, this is a purchased church church it's a purchased church now god is god he can just claim us right and he'd have every right to do so because he's god he's our creator he's our redeemer and all of that but 
but he claims us by way of purchase. Now, I, what I want to do is I want to go back to that very same verse I just showed you, and then I want to tack on the end of the verse, which really makes this thing come alive. So again, in Acts chapter 20, it says, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God we've established. This is God's church. Watch this. Which he purchased with his own blood. By the way, if you stare at that long enough, the he, the antecedent to he is God, and the only one I know who purchased it with his blood is Jesus, that makes Jesus God. Right? Jesus is God. Now, in full disclosure, I have to tell you, the first love of my life was a 1975 Camaro LT. I mean, that is a beautiful car, is it not? The year was 1976. I was a snot-nosed 18-year-old. I made my way to the car dealership. I was going to buy that car. It was up, and the, it, they added up on blocks. They were doing final inspections. All the paperwork was done. And they said, this looks great there, Mr. Nemers. All I need, all you need is a co-signer. I said, great, what's that? Well, that's somebody who has to sign this for you. To, you know, I said, why do, they, why do I have some, why does somebody have to sign it? Well, because you don't have the resources according to our data yet. Your credit's not out. You're only 18, and so we just need some protection, you know, to make sure this will be, ta- this will be taken care of in case you can't. I said, okay, so I called my dad. Isn't that what kids do? I called my dad. I said, dad, I need, a, I need you to co-sign for this car. He said, uh-uh. I had to walk away from that car. That car broke my heart. By the way, that's what the world's lovers will do every time, right? They'll break your heart. And the the car didn't look sad when I left. The dealer did. Let me tell you something. Jesus don't need no cosigner. He doesn't need a cosigner. He's God, and he has all the resources. He has all the right by sacrifice, by the resources of the power of his resurrection to purchase the church of God by his blood. And by the way, when it tells us in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 that he purchased, uh, Greek students know that's in the middle voice. When the middle voice is used, that means the person doing it is doing it of his own accord. He doesn't need any outside help. He's got all the resources available to himself. Hallelujah! This is Jesus that we're talking about here. Is it any wonder that he said to Peter, even before the church began, I will build whose church? My church. That's why the gates of hell can't prevail against it, because it can't prevail against God. And I'll just remind you, I quoted this verse to you a little earlier, but I want to show it to you now, because, because we are a purchased church. That means God owns us. So Peter says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are, say it, God's own possession. So what ramifications does that truth have in your life? That's the question. Sailorville Church, you are a purchased church. The purchased church of God via the merits of Jesus Christ.
The third thing I want to point out to us as we get going in our new season is that we are a building of people. We've done a lot of building around here over the years. We've added a beautiful addition. It's beautiful, isn't it? Love it. Thank God for it. But I want to remind you that we, are, we as a building are a building of people. And again, back to Peter, here's how Peter puts it. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, now watch these adjectives, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We talk about churches that close their doors. And by the way, churches are closing their doors in our country every week. Many of them. We, we talk about churches that shut their doors. Why do, we, why do we say that? Why do we use that expression? I mean, the building's still there, isn't it? Isn't that the church? Well, we know better, don't we? We should. If there's no people, there's no church. It doesn't matter how beautiful that building is. Our first, chant, our first church plant, Lakeside Fellowship, has a beautiful facility. Have you seen it? It's beautiful. Some of you have been there. It's paid for. They're using it. This is, it's, right on, it's right on the strip there in Polk City. What a presence they have. But they've had a presence for over 10 years because the church has been there for 10 years. They're only now meeting in a place that they own, so to speak. The church of God is a building of people. Lakeside Fellowship and now our second church, Living Waters on the South Side, just announced to their church this, just this last week that they have, their, and, and they've just agreed to purchase property to put a building down there after nine years. We're ecstatic for them because they're gonna have a place that they don't have to worry about manipulation and government, this and that, but they have been a church for over nine years. The church is a spiritual entity. It's important that we remember that because we say, well, where's the church? Well, it's down there on 6th Avenue. No, it's not. It's, it is when we're gathered. <laughs> and with that, we're a local church. It's probably good to remind us of that as well. We're a local church. The New Testament identifies churches both as universal and local. The universal church is everybody, anywhere, around the world, who places their heart, faith in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, as the one who died and rose again personally for them, then you're in the church universally. But then there's the local church. That's just what it is, the area in which you are, where we're at. We used to be called Sailorville Baptist Church. We, we changed our name to Sailorville Church. Sailorville is where we're at. Church is who we are. Now, I showed you a verse a few moments ago from Paul's opening salvo to those Corinthians and I, I show it to you again, to the church of God that is in Corinth. And so we established with that that the church is, whose church? It's God's church. But just look at it again from a different emphasis. It's the church of God that is in Corinth. That's a local church. That's the local church. 
Now, Sailorville Church has a far reach, admittedly. And some of you here this morning, you're from, you're from anywhere from 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Some of you are coming 40 minutes. That's a long ways to come. But our strongest outreach is right here in the northern part of Des Moines, in the greater part of Ankeny. And it'll always be our target audience. Now, not, not the exception of witnessing to anybody, but let's, I, let's understand who we are and where we are as a local church. Just last week, a church contacted me from a very large city, and it's a good-sized church, uh, and they just saw what God's doing here, and they, they set up a meeting with me because they want to talk about how we're doing church and how we're planning churches. So in just a little investigation, I found out this church, and it's a great guy. There's some great people there, but this church is in a, in a suburb of this major city, and no one from the suburb goes to the church. That's not good. That is just not good. In fact, that's the reason why when we plant churches, we tell all that are in the core group within the next year, you got to make your way down there. You got to make your way up there. You got to make your way over there. You got to move into the community of where the church is at because nothing says I don't care like not moving into the area. When we planted our second church plant on the south side, we were like the fourth church to try to get planted down there. There have been like three churches over five years, people just flitting in and flitting out, flitting in, flitting out, flitting in, flitting out. And when they tried to get the church started, nobody wanted to move down there. And they just told the south siders, we really want to reach it, we just don't want to be around you. And then Josh Daggett and family and the core group moved down there. And that was nine years ago, and God is doing a great work down there because we believe in the local church. And then it, just, it should just go without saying, but we need to put it out there. This is, we are a disciple-making church. Originally, I wrote down we're an evangelistic church, but I knew invariably somebody said, well, evangelism, that's just part of it. I get that. But nobody gets saved unless they get evangelized. But it is true that Jesus said our our call is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them whatever I've commanded you. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. We are a disciple-making church. And even the text that I read as a, just sort of as a, as a primer, as sort of a primer getting into the sermon from Acts chapter 2, that little prototype of the church, it concludes in verse 47 by saying, And the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. Now listen carefully to this. God adds when God saves. Churches that grow by taking believers from other churches might add to their numbers, but they're not adding to the church. The church grows as people come into the body of Christ, not into a building. Not a, so this is, this is why we have to be radically committed to the gospel, not just from the pulpit, but our lives individually ought to just overflow with who Jesus Christ is. We ought to be happy to tell people what Jesus Christ has done for us, not just in the baptismal, but in life, amen? Because we're a disciple-making church. That's our call. Let's recommit ourselves to that this morning. And finally, this is a family church. I mean, again, just, just uh, I'll put the verses up there again for you. Verse 44, 
were in the middle of this. It's just beautiful, isn't it? And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, the uh, proceeds to all as any had need. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church, of a family? This calls to mind all of the one another passages in the Bible. Love one another. Forgive one another. Be kind to one another. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Bear one another's burdens. Stir up one another unto love and good works and more. These are the things that make us a family. The family is the church. The church is a family. And like any other family, we have our differences. Amen? We don't always agree. We sometimes have quarrels, but we don't clench our fist. At least we shouldn't. I love what Warren Wiersbe said. If I have a quarrel with the church, it's a lover's quarrel. That's why we have dedicated ourselves and rededicated ourselves and doubled down and tripled down on cell groups. Our, our cell group system, which now has a thousand people plus, that, including children, is, in, is designed for life on life that we can do these one another's and foster the family spirit within the body of Christ. I mean, you think about a family is, is everybody in your, does everybody in your family look exactly the same? Not unless they're identical twins or triplets or quadruple. No. Is everybody in your fam family the same age? No. And yet, we, I get it. It just, it's very natural. Underline the word natural. It's very natural for us to hang out with those experiencing similar life circumstances. It's, it's very natural. 20-somethings with 20-something, singles with singles. Let's make a church of singles. Let's make a church of 20-something. Let's make a church of 40-something. No, let's not make a church of 40-something. Anyway, 50-year-olds with 50-year-olds and uh, businessmen with businessmen. I mean, isn't that the smartest way to do it? I mean, what was God thinking when he said, let the older women teach the younger women anyway? Doesn't he know that 30-somethings get along? They, they grow so much more tighter and they're more sanctified when they're hanging out with their best friends? I mean, what kind of wisdom comes from sports enthusiasts just hanging out with sports enthusiasts? Do you think we'd ever let the youth group just run itself? I mean... What's a single adult got to learn from a group of couples who go home together, they talk together, they argue together, they make love to one another? I mean, what, what, can, a, what can a single learn from that? Probably a lot, and they could probably learn as much or more from the single. The point I'm making is that we are a family. And does it matter where all the idiosyncrasies, all the differences, be it in ages, be it in occupations, be it in intelligence, be it in sociological, or just you know, where you're at on the societal strata, it doesn't matter. We are one body as a family. And we ought to embrace that. And speaking of embrace, as we make our way to the Lord's table, I just, I just want to just 
challenge you with a couple of things this morning. Sort of some takeaways, if I may. And here they are. If the church is a spiritual building with living stones, are you one of them? Are you a living stone? Or just dead wood? When God saves, God gives life. And if you don't have life, then you need the one who died and rose again for you, who will give you life. He'll give you his forgiveness and his salvation through his virtues on the cross and resurrection. So ask yourself that question. Am I still dead in my trespasses and sins, or am I alive in Christ? Examine yourself this morning to that end. And if you're still dead, then repent of your sin like they did at Pentecost and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Since Jesus purchased the church, the church is Jesus's. This is God's church. If that's true of us as a body, then that has to be true to you and to me as an individual, right? And so when you come across scripture like this, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body because that's the only thing he gave you. And if he's got your body, he's got all of you. And in your spirit, which are God. So that's, this is a time of examination. You need to ask yourself, if I am owned, if I don't own myself, and I'm a Christian, then I have to recognize anew that God owns me. What, what ramification does that have on your life? And the way you practice your life? What's happening in your heart right now? What's happening in your life right now? Is it glorifying to God? Thirdly, will you as a disciple, if indeed you are one, commit yourself or recommit yourself to making disciples? Telling others about Jesus? Helping others to become more like Jesus? More people, more like Jesus. That's what we do around here. That's our motto. Would you do that? Would you recommit yourself this morning to be a gospel witness an encourager of those who place their faith in Jesus as well. And finally, we're a family here. So do you got any issues with any family members? It's hard when families struggle, isn't it? It's hard when marriages struggle. And some of you have had struggling marriages or you've had, you've had impasses with your kids and just really kind of awkward around the house, right? If you got a domestic squabble with your wife it's like she's going this way you're going that way you thank God for the king bed listen clear up those family matters this table demands that we do it demands that we clear up the family matters if you're struggling with somebody take care of it today and then come together let's come together as a family what do families do best when they come together they break bread, and that's what we're going to do. The bread 
And these elements is just bread, but it's a, it depicts the perfect life of Jesus. The juice depicts his sacrificial blood. And that's why we take the bread first, because it reminds us of his perfect life, and it reminds you of your imperfect life, and so you confess your sin, so I confess my sin, and we, and we worship Jesus for being tempted in all points like us and never once giving in, never once sinning, right? And then we take the juice, and that's when we remember his death on the cross, the shedding of his blood, his sacrifice on our behalf, and we worship him for his forgiveness, for his salvation, for the eternal life, and putting us into a family, right? Because after all, this is the church of God at Sailorville. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we are thankful today that we can come before you and worship you and worship your son Jesus. And we were told right in the scripture that we looked at that Jesus is God. He did purchase our redemption with his blood and thus he owns us. He had, you have all the rights to our lives, God. And we resubmit ourselves to you today. And we do pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember that this is your church, a purchased church. We are, it's not just a building, but the building is made up of people. And I pray for those in this group, Lord, that are not living stones. And if that's you, dear friend, and you would recognize that you're not alive, but you're dead and you need the life of Jesus in you, would you repent of your sin right now? Would you tell God you're sorry? Would you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again? And would you accept him as your savior? God, help us to reach the area you have planted us. Just as we sing the praises of the churches we've planted, we are reminded that we are responsible for the area you have placed us, the spheres in which we walk and live and move and have our being. Remind us, Lord, that we are a disciple-making church and thus we are evangelistic and we are not meant to just keep this treasure under a bushel but to let it out and tell others about Jesus. And God, I just want to, as we come to the Lord's table, thank you for family. Thank you for this family. Thank you for the church of you at Sailorville. I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm humbled by it. Help us, Lord, to reconcile with one another, love one another, deal with issues, lay aside things, die to our own selves where we need to. So put down pride and selfishness, self-seeking. And may we glorify you in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name.